it's a wide rule. Um, I'm really excited today. Um, really um, having a guest on that really will, I hope, be kind of a gift to a lot of you, the listeners who are in the classroom and undergoing um, everything that you've gone through over this past year and um, uh, continue to, or year, what what is it? Like, it's like infinity now, like 2020 to forever, like, uh, you know, COVID times, that sort of thing. Um, so um, Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Would you start by just introducing yourself to the listeners? Yes. So my name is Elizabeth Kaufman and I am a licensed clinical therapist. I um, am the owner of Elizabeth Kaufman Therapy here in the Prairie Village area where I work with couples, um, individuals um, on a variety of issues. One of my specialties really is anxiety. Um, and so I love working with um, folks who are, you know, in, um, you know, in, in various professions who tend to be high functioning, but also have a lot of anxiety. Um, and um, I, I uh, appreciate that work because it's work I know very well. Um, in addition to being a therapist, I'm also an adjunct professor for a local um, graduate therapy program. And um, formerly I am um, an educator myself and taught in the Kansas City, Missouri school district. I taught high school. Awesome. So I think uh, from my, from my perspective as a non-educator, but who knows a lot of educators and obviously host this podcast, being, being a, a teacher is such a, a high stress, like intense job anyway, because you have in pre-COVID times, you're, you're, you got to get up early and go to school. Many you have nonstop interaction with students. Um, uh, oftentimes you're, you're told that in your, your 50 minute class period, it needs to be jam packed with, with content. Um, you leave school at the end of the day, you might be uh, the sponsor for a school club, or you, you, even if you're not, like you're likely going home in the evening and, and doing more work to either prep for the next day or to grade things. And often you're given a very little time to network, network with other professionals or commiserate with other professionals um, and very little time to, to plan during the day. So already at baseline it's it's just from my perspective like holy cow like what a profession to have um what a heroic profession throw in yeah. covid and and all the uncertainty that all of us have been facing but that uh, there's you know possibly an extra acuteness for caring professions and, and educators um what i mean what do you see in that what's what's that like what are you what are you seeing what are you hearing what are you thinking mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, I think it's certainly been a roller coaster when we think about, you know, March of 20, you know, 2020, when, you know, many teachers went home and then found out no one is going, you know, no one's going back for maybe a couple of weeks. And now no one's going back for the whole year. Um, and then you move into, you know, this, this summer where no one knows what's happening, um, and or what what reopening schools look like, and um, and then then there are a whole variety of possibilities on what the school year is going to look like. And teachers didn't really most mostly didn't even know until you know you know maybe maybe weeks before they're they're starting to teach. Am I going to be teaching online? Am I going to be um, in person, are we? Is everything going to be online? Is it going to be a both and? And and all of those things happened all across the board in different schools. And teachers had to go with it. And 
Um, you know, most my closest circle of friends are teachers. Um, I, I would say, you know, then, then they're learning a whole new way to teach mm. without any new support. So now I'm teaching online and I'm trying to teach content to kids who might be in the classroom, might be online, maybe they're quarantined, maybe we're doing both, you know, high school and middle school teachers, you know, really went in many places fully online. Um, and that's a whole, that's a whole different way to engage. You're, you're losing a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the abilities that we have as teachers to scan a classroom to, mm. you know, all of those things, you don't have that. Um, and, and so then I think, you know, that was just such a loss of, you know, just a, like a loss of control. There's no, no one's asking for opinion, not to mention potential safety pieces that teachers might, you know, be feeling for themselves at that point. You know, at that point, no one's vaccinated. That's not an option. Um, and so then we move into this year, which seems to, for the most part, um, at this point, you know, we've learned some things, right? Like we've learned some things, like mostly that kids need to be, you know, in school if possible, like that that is kind of ideal. Um, and, and so I think the teachers have just been in this place of really moving and scrambling and trying to keep up with what's happening without a lot of, you know, very little control, very little input. And then really this year, you know, the whole new thing of, so kids are going to be in school, but are they masked? So how does that impact you as a teacher when you have, you know, 25, you know, 26 students in your room, um, who are masked or unmasked. So it's just been, you know, it's just been this like kind of evolving door of, of unknowns and then rolling with whatever, you know, or being expected to roll with whatever comes your way without any extension of planning, prep time, you know, for the most case, it resources. And we have to remember that teachers go into the teaching profession because they, you know, they, there's usually, you know, some sort of caring for kids. <laughs> so they're also worried about their students in this mm -hmm. place. Um, so it's just really compounded by, you know, I think we can't just look at like this slice right now. We have to look like what have teachers been experiencing in this whole last, mm. you know, year and a half since March. Um, and it's pretty amazing that, you know, they're still showing up. Mm. What, what is, so what is that uncertain, the uncertainty that you kind of described there with, yeah, that March of 2020 uh, first happening, then when you go off to spring break and there's this seismic shift that happens before you can come back um, and yeah. you don't come back. But then with going into this school year, mm -hmm. there was so much uncertainty about masks on a district by district right. basis. There's right. fear that will we continue to be in person or, or not uh, fear slash uncertainty? Will we continue to be in person or will we have to go back to being uh, remote? Like what, what does that uncertainty do to, to people's mental health, to triggering anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good question. One of the things that I heard a lot last year, um, you know, that I, I'm, I'm not hearing quite as much this year because we're not as shut down. But one of the things that I heard a lot was, I know this is like a first world problem. Like I'm at home and I'm, you know, binging Netflix at night or, or whatever that thing is. But the reality of it is, is, you know, social isolation, loss of control, um, not knowing what's going to come next um, and continuing to have those unknowns keep coming, you know, concern for your physical safety or physical safety for family members or friends. That's that's not a first world problem. That's trauma. 
Mm. And when we're in trauma, we really lose our, um, you know, we, we lose, we, we move into a survival mode where, you know, we are, we're not, um, we're not as able to offer ourselves that compassion or empathy. Um, there's physical impacts of that, you know, where we might feel, um, you know, stress or tension in our bodies, or maybe we're not working out as much because we're just so drained, we're tapped out. I think there's a whole extra load that's happening when you're constantly calibrating uncertainty. Um, mm. And I think if we can think of it as like, that's a whole separate job that's constantly happening in our brains, particularly if you're in a profession that um, that has that high level of uncertainty. So some people might be a computer programmer and they're home now, you know, and there's not that kind of constant uncertainty for their work. And maybe it's going to be remote forever or, you know, but with it, you know, with a teacher, that's not the same. It's a constant calibration. You know, my husband just told me recently about a school that shut down, you know, that he is aware of, um, in, you know, in, a, in, um, in one of his clients' networks. And that's a reality, right? Like that's a possibility. Um, so just that constant mental load of recalibrating what's gonna happen next. I kind of have to be prepared for it. I have to kind of be a step ahead. Um, there's not, there's, th th that's draining. Yeah. You mentioned there's the two things there that I'd love to like explore more. So, you, I mean, you mentioned that kind of dealing with that uncertainty is, is an, a whole additional job. Um, yeah. And you mentioned earlier, even like having to learn all of the remote technologies last year, maybe not as much this year, but, but even just reflecting on, on, on last school year, you, you already have this uh, profession of teaching and educating it. And you have these pedagogical principles, which you're trying to, um, that you're putting into practice each day. And then without additional support, like you said, having to learn a whole new set of skills to be a, a remote um, a tech expert. Um, what, what, what is, what is that, what does that do um, to your ability to, to do both, I guess? Yeah, I think, and I kind of think that this is um, almost an inherent problem pre-COVID in the teaching profession, mostly, you know, I, I, by and large is that teachers are going to take kind of what's thrown at them and, and going to do it. So maybe last year you taught fourth grade, but this year we need you to teach first grade, you know, yeah. um, maybe you've taught fourth grade every year. And that happened to one of my friends last year who's taught kindergarten every single year. Last year, they pulled her into teaching fourth grade. So kind of this already, I feel like we have really high, high expectations for teachers without, um, without the support structures in place or even the pay in place to be able to expect yeah. to be expected to, you know, to, to do these really incredible things that teachers do with students. Um, and, and so I think, I think in terms of, um, you know, having to do both of those things, I think that there's a lot of burnout and I don't, and I don't think that, you know, unless, unless you've been able to take time to tend to that, I think that we're going to see that probably play out in this year too. Um, yeah. So three months of summer, was that enough? You know, were you able to heal and tend to that burnout while you're still going into a totally unknown, you know, school year with new concerns um, and similar concerns before? So doing that both and doing learning that new technology, um, engaging students in that way, 
on top of all the other things that the rest of us were dealing with, right? Like the social isolation, the fear, you know, the unknowns. I, I just think, um, I think that we're going to, we're seeing, we're gonna to continue to see burnout. You know, we're already seeing staffing issues in schools. Um, we're already seeing, you know, you know, people leave the profession um, and it having, you know, being more difficult to bring people in. So that's kind of on my mind. Yeah. You know, if I were to have a new teacher come in right now, I would wonder, you know, how how have you been able to tend to um, to tend to yourself coming off of a year like that and then going back into a new sort of unknown? Um, and I think that that's not something you can do like we took a weekend trip, you know, I think that that's, that's not, that's going to take time to, to heal and to come off of, um, come off of such a, a, um, a highly, you know, impossible situation that you have to kind of keep showing up for. Yeah. It makes me think of, uh, when I, I actually, I was going to say I ran, I, I didn't run high school, uh, high school cross country. I like trained and then for some reason didn't run. I, so I don't remember, but my, the high school cross country teacher that I, or coach um, for that summer when I was training for whatever reason, he always talked about how cross country running was about learning or teaching your body to recover on the run so that you're going up a hill, you're already tired, but you've, mm -hmm. you've got to like power up that hill and then your body has to recover while you're still moving, even though it's had to do extra yeah. exertion up the hill. And it, sounds like that's what teachers are having to do so i mean a, a teacher yeah. who's who's sort of having to recover on the run maybe they sense in themselves that they're that they are getting burned out that the summer wasn't long enough like you said what what kind of tips would you have for them well i think so i think that you know burnout is is something that you know a lot of us might experience without knowing that we're experiencing it and so i think first of all just being able to notice the signs of burnout maybe um you know maybe things that almost look like depression so decreased interest in, in seeing friends or family or um, activities or things that might normally make you happy or bring you joy you know senses sense of hopelessness or dread um, maybe, you know, issues with sleep or insomnia or, or even lack of energy, um, numbness, you know, all of those things, I think, first of all, it's just important to kind of, and, and you can Google signs of burnout too. There's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a, a wide range of symptoms, but first of all, I think just going, am I like, am, does that really, does that resonate with me? Um, because we don't always know when we're in burnout mode. Um, and so I think that would be the first thing is just stopping and going, okay, maybe, maybe I am burnout. Um, the rhythm of a healthy, you know, caregiver, which I think anyone in a helping profession, you know, like a teacher is a caregiver is to, um, pour in, pour out, pour in, pour out. Um, and that's in, that's in the best, you know, of times, right. That we are filling our cup. Um, so that we can pour out from it. You know, we can't pour from an empty cup. And so what I would say is, is if you are experiencing burnout of evaluating what ways am I pouring in right now to, to myself? Um, are there ways that I'm doing that? And I think one of the really tricky things about burnout is our, maybe we had a good self-care routine before, but sometimes our old, um, not our old, but our former resources when we're in burnout, they don't work for us anymore. So let's say like 
maybe it was going to the gym and doing like this good hard workout. Well, first of all, maybe I don't feel safe going to the gym anymore. Um, but even if I do, I just can't like, like my body is like physically not there. Um, I would say, you know, looking at like, can you do something that maybe feels more gentle for your body? So maybe it's not that hard workout or that, you know, five mile run that you used to do. Maybe it's a walk. Um, cause when you're in burnout and, and you have a self-care routine before the same ones don't always work now, because again, you're emptied and the goal is how do you nurture yourself to get a little back to baseline as much as possible. So, you know, for me, um, what I would say, you know, things that I kind of practice in, in my life is tuning into what, so what am I needing right now? Like what, first of all, what's coming up for me? Am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling tired? And then what am I needing? So I kind of go through my own, nobody wants to hear this about a therapist, but I go through my own seasons of burnout. Um, and I, I, have to be mindful of what do I need from that. So sometimes for me, um, and I'm hearing this from a lot of people in, in helping professions right now, it's like, I don't, I don't, I want to shut down. Like, I don't want to be on this level of onness. And the reality of it is we are so plugged in. I mean, you think about like 150 years ago, when you came home, when it was dark, things shut down. You can't go out in the field, you can't do your job, you know, you're maybe reading a book, you're maybe playing a game with your family, but after a certain time, you know, things shut down and that is not the case now. We, people can reach us by text, by email, by phone, um, you know, we have all these ways that we're still like on and people in burnout often feel like, oh my gosh, like I can't, I can't return that phone call. I don't even want to return that text. Oh my gosh, it's another email. And so one thing that I will communicate sometimes to my, to my friends or my family is like, Hey guys, like, I'm just going to kind of be a little MIA for a bit. Um, and I, and that is okay. I need to recharge. I need to be off. Mm -hmm. Um, and teachers need that. Anybody in the helping profession who's on in that intense way. And you think about that, right? You are, you are on all day, the level of responsibility of onness outside of maybe a 90 minute window in which you need to like maybe eat and make copies. And maybe, you know, somebody's doing a training meeting that you have to go to all of those things. You're on you're responsible so that part of that onness and responsibility might be the part you have to tend to how can i find times that i'm not responsible how can i find times that i'm not on mm, yeah i think something that i've uh uh that i've realized in myself is like realizing and i'm not facing the same type of burnout at all uh but something i've it's been a new realization for me is like oh man like there are times when I really have a di difficult time responding to a text message or something or responding to a, to a message and, and almost trying to give myself grace that like, oh, I, I'm aware that I'm, I may feel very different two hours from now or three hours from right. now or 24 hours from now. And it's amazing to have that awareness for it's for me, it's been amazing to have that awareness, then to come back to it whenever, however many hours later and really be like, wow, I, I feel so different having given myself grace yeah. to, to wait. I, I'm curious right. what, like you mentioned gentleness, um, yeah. uh, with regards to the kind of the filling activities, I wonder what sort of gentleness or grace you would urge, uh, people in caring professions, um, to give themselves as they're, uh, mm -hmm. really caring about the impact they have. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think, I think, you know, really kind of holding that the work that you're doing or have been doing is different, is extra difficult, even, you know, for people who might not feel like, I don't necessarily feel worried about COVID or I don't feel scared because I do hear that quite a bit from, you know, a lot of my clients are in the healthcare profession too. Mm -hmm. And so they're not, they're like, yeah, I don't feel typically like worried or upset about it, but you know, I feel pretty safe. But what I think that we're sometimes missing is, but think about all the extra things that you're doing and having to think about like washing hands and making, you know, and as a teacher, making sure your kids are washing hands and putting those masks on and all of those things. So just recognizing that this is extra difficult. I think we have to give that to ourselves. Like we need that self-compassion um, because when we go, why am I like this? Like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I so tired? Why am I blah, 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 you know? And we can kind of heap that judgment on ourselves that again, that like, this is a third world problem, you know, or sorry, first world problem. I should be okay. Everybody else is doing this too. Well, you know, it's not the suffering Olympics that doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve us to compare to the fact that, you know, maybe somewhere out there, someone has it worse. We have to tend to our hard thing and, and, and help ourselves feel seen. Cause when we feel seen, then our brains, first of all, calm down and we're able to exit that survival mode a little bit and ask ourselves, so then what do I, what do I need around this? And sometimes what we need is, um, you know, with that gentleness, sometimes it, maybe it is a shift in perspective. Maybe it is like, you know, sometimes I'll have days that I'm like, why are you so stressed? And I'm like, okay, everything, actually everything is okay. I've just maybe been operating in a place where things were high stress. So I could go, mm -hmm. okay, actually right now in this moment, I am okay. And I really like that kind of present thing. I'm like right now I am okay. I really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. I don't know, you know, what the world, what's going to happen to the world tomorrow. But right now in this moment, I'm okay. But sometimes when we're able to kind of calm and offer ourselves that compassion and say, well, what do I need? Sometimes there's something we do need. Sometimes it's like, I need to ask my partner for mm. some extra help. I need to say it is okay for me to be a mom and go upstairs and shut that door at 6 p.m. And I'll tell you, I did that last year. You know, I really, when my whole world changed as a therapist, you know, I'm so privileged to be able to still be safe and still work. Um, but it was a big change. And there was a real intensity to that need. And there were days that when I finally realized I was able to give myself that compassion and say, hey, I'm actually really, really, really drained. I was able to say, so I think some days I need to go upstairs and shut the door at 6 p.m. And again, right, be off, take that responsibility off. Um, and guilt can come up, especially I think for, hmm. um, you know, for parents. Uh, okay. Or even just people who feel like I should be doing something productive. Um, and when that happens, and when I talk about being gentle with yourself, I think guilt really can come into um, a really big part of that. So then when that guilt comes up and you're being gentle and maybe you're doing this thing for yourself that you feel like you need or feels like, oh, that actually sounds really nice. Um, but, but then I'm going to feel bad. Well, the message of guilt is I'm doing something bad or I'm making a mistake. If I go take that hour for myself to fill that cup up so that I can pour out tomorrow, am I doing anything bad or am I making a mistake? Maybe I'm inconveniencing someone. Maybe, maybe my daughter's bummed that I'm not 
watching that movie with her or playing that game with her that night? But am I doing something bad or making a mistake? And usually when it comes, when it comes down to it, usually I'm able to say, no, that you're not, that guilt is there, but you're not doing something bad or you're not making a mistake. So then my work is to release the guilt and go, oh, you're not, you're not mm-hmm. serving me. So that guilt is, is really interesting to me. Um, uh, like where, cause I'm thinking about, well, where does that guilt come from? Why, what is the societal yeah. message or the individual messages that, that many of us have internalized that lead to that guilt? And I think you also touched on it with that idea of, um, the suffering Olympics or, um, mm-hmm. how we, uh, I mean, you reframed what are many times called first world problems is actually being trauma that, that people are undergoing. Yeah. What, what right. where, where do you think that comes from? Where does that that guilt, that suffering Olympics, the the minimizing of of the trauma that people are undergoing, where where does that come from? Well, I kind of think it comes from like we have a very you know capitalistic, productive, achievement focused society, and so rest and um and, and quiet are not things that we really value that much socially, um, and so. We, you know, many of us have been programmed that I feel good about myself when I'm doing something productive or maybe for someone else. And so if it's not productive and it's not serving someone else and it's just serving me, well, if I, if my experience, maybe even in childhood or through my life is that that's not okay to do, I'm really going to struggle with that as an adult, no matter how much I need that. And so what I really encourage people to do is look at, so what are your inner values and beliefs about rest, about being off, um, about, and even maybe, you know, taking, even at the inconvenience of someone else. Um, and if it's, I am worthy and I'm enough and I'm good enough when I'm doing something productive, you're going to have a hard time taking care of yourself. Um, that's a road that I've had to, to unlearn. Um, and so I think that when there is a lot of guilt with self-care, you have to look at where do those messages come from about what it means for me to be okay. So I'm okay if people like me, which means I'm going to maybe make sure everybody around me is happy. Or I'm okay if people are impressed by me. I think particularly, you know, in a school system where there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, reliance on people to step up and, you know, be, be that, um, be your content leader. Like you said, you know, support that club, do that thing. You know, if I'm charged and, um, and, and my identity is kind of rooted in making sure people are okay with me or that I'm, you know, being productive, I'm going to have a hard time creating the boundaries I need so that I can have rest. So I really encourage people, if guilt comes up for you quite a bit with self-care or taking time for yourself or saying no or setting boundaries, what's that identity piece? What did you learn about what it means for you to be okay and valuable as a human being? Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, that, that's that's like great on a really personal level. So I, I don't want to take advantage of your your uh, therapy expertise. But I'm hearing that I'm like, oh man, like I, I need to to spend some time with those messages too. Uh, I, without without making this, I don't want this to be a political conversation. I think it's a bummer that this has become a political thing. But I, I'm curious um, with regards to mask wearing. 
um, how how might that affect um, how teachers communicate with students? Or is there even yeah. a is there even a message that is sent to your brain or your body that like if you're going eight plus hours wearing a mask and this is uh, yeah. relevant for teachers but clearly relevant for people in all sorts of professions? Right, right. Okay, so I'm going to speak to this both as a therapist and as a parent because I'm sitting here, you know, these last couple of months like on the edge of my seat, waiting to hear what our school district is going to do um, and going like, what do I do if they don't require masks? Like, how do I send, you know, my child into that situation? Like, what does that mean if my unvaccinated child exposes a teacher? Like, oh my gosh, so what do I do? But then I think that what what we we make this like a very either or conversation one of the things i've heard so much from parents is my so so for parents who are you know wanting masks and stuff in in that that sort of thing is my kids never come they don't complain about a mask like the kids are fine it's the adults well yeah i hear that my daughter has also never once complained about wearing a mask. That does not mean that I do not think that there are consequences for wearing a mask. And I am extremely glad that my school district adopted a mask. And I'm sad about it. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, I'm okay. sad about it for Yes, absolutely. Because we are wired, our brains have these mirror neurons that look at you and look at your facial expression and help organize what I feel inside based on what you're reflecting back to me. You know, it's like if you're sitting across from me eating an ice cream cone, my brain starts to go, hmm, I can kind of like taste that ice cream cone. That ice cream cone sounds good. I want that ice cream cone. Or that doesn't sound good to me right now. If you're across from me and you're sad, um, my brain starts to go, what does that mean? Did I, and maybe even like he said, did I, oh, I see my words or my behavior reflected that you know, or maybe, maybe impacted that sadness. When we take that away, um, I really, I really think that we have to look at that and have to go both for teachers and for children. This is an additional, again, an additional piece that's potentially traumatic. That's potentially, you know, um, do, do I think that at the end of the day, like, kids are gonna be okay, yes, but I really wish there was more conversations about, we're happy that there are masks because we feel like it's a safe thing and a safe way for our community. And just because your kid isn't complaining about it doesn't mean that there's not impact. You know, my daughter um, last year came home and there's like several times that she was like, not sure what somebody said to her. And I remember going like, do we need to get her hearing checked? Is she a processing disorder? What is happening? Why is she not, you know, knowing what these people are saying to her? And then um, after I was, it was right kind of right before I got vaccinated and I went on a trip and I didn't know what anybody was saying to me the whole time. Like when I was traveling, I was like, oh, it's the masks. Like it's a little harder to discern what people are saying. Um, and so even just like that part of it's, you know, it, it does impact our communication. We have so much nonverbal communication. And I, I think that there's also different personalities who really, really need, um, who are maybe very sensitive to that attunement, right? So are very like, like my husband and I can be in a room and he might not pick up that the same things that I'm going to pick up um, from someone else 
from their facial expressions and their and their you know behaviors or things like that. But I think you know we're we're losing some of that in the school day. So teachers are having to like do extra work to make sure kids are feeling safe without the gift of their full face and their smile and the warmth they bring. I mean, that's like extra heavy lifting. And I've heard different creative things that teachers have done to do that. But I, I just think, I think that we have to look at that, like, and go that it, it's almost like taking away like a, a sense, like working with an arm, you know, behind your back mm. at an emotional level. What, what have, I'm curious, what have you heard uh, some teachers have been doing to sort of get around that or to, to, to mitigate some of those effects, those, that, that arm behind their back. Yeah, I've heard, so I've heard some teachers say, you can't see me right now, but I'm smiling. Like I'm really happy, you know, just kind of, um, outwardly describing what's happening, um, inwardly. Um, I've even seen like that there's maybe like a different emotional, like, you know, there's like different emotional faces that maybe they will, hold up, you know, maybe it can, you can't see me, but I'm in my sad place right now. You're, you know, you guys are all, you know, all talking and I'm feeling a little sad about this. Um, and even just people who, you know, having pictures up of themselves so that students can orient to what their faces look like, because it's really a different experience to, you know, if you were to see your wife in a mask, your brain kind of fills in the rest of that. But if you were to meet me for the first time in a mask, there's not, your brain's not filling in that information, um, which, you know, is even just a little harder to, to attach to that person and feel safe. So um, I think I'm specifically talking about, you know, the difficulty of this for students, but teachers are aware of this too. So I just, I think it's, again, we have to offer like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad for everyone's sake of safety and at a communal level that there are masks and I'm super sad about it. That's a really, I'm really glad uh, that you bring that up, that, that both thing, that difficulty. Uh, yeah, that's really fascinating. And it, it, I wonder if, no, that's, that's silly. What, what you said made me think about emojis. Like I was like, you know, this is what, what a time to, that we're, we're right. in the 21st century emojis are so common anyway. I, I like to communicate with emojis and it almost seems like maybe there's an importance of emojis to, to help communicate. Yeah. It's just another way to communicate some of that emotion um, in, exactly. a, in a digital space. Um, right. I mean, we, exactly. we need a more greater variety of emojis to uh, capture more right. emotions. <laughs> right. Well, what other, I mean, are, are there, uh, is there anything else you'd want to talk about or, or another message that you'd want to, to give to teachers that I, that I didn't ask? Yeah, I think, you know, I think probably not necessarily another message, but just, you know, an extension of, um, of this kind of self-care piece. Um, there was a meme that came, it was kind of floating around recently. I think that someone sent me, um, and it was like, the wording was something like, um, uh, you know, while I'm scrolling TikTok, um, somebody said, are you actually, you know, recharging or are you just numbing out and disassociating? And I've never felt more attacked. Um, so that was the meme, like blah, blah, blah. Yes, essentially I am disassociating and I am numbing out and that's me. Well, I, I, I kind of feel a little bit like, well, when we are doing that, when we are disassociating, we're just, dis and I think this is true for a lot of us right now. So it's like, yep, am I doing that? Am I just kind of mindlessly doing that? When we are doing, when we're in that space, it's 
because our central nervous system is overwhelmed, overloaded in disassociation like that is actually a tool for us to try to regulate. And so if you, if that is you, if you are a teacher in that place who's just like, yep, I'm just finding that like, I come home and I'm just, you know, I, I take care of my kids or whatever, but then I'm just scrolling mindlessly and then I feel guilty or whatever that is. I mean, I just would say, look at that, tend to that. You're, you're disassociating or we are, we are as a society, not just teachers doing this. All, most, most all of us are doing this right now to one degree or another. And I would say, so then if our central nervous system is overwhelmed to that degree that we need to check out, then do that. Let yourself check out and do it mindfully so, so that you can feel that central nervous system calm down. Um, Cause otherwise we're like guilting it and we're going, why? Oh, I just like wasted 15 minutes on it. Or maybe that's what I'm doing on my planning or my break. Um, but what I would add to it is do it in a way that allows you to be off. Cause again, like I said earlier, we're so on, we're so plugged in as a society. And then as a teacher or anyone, you know, maybe even a healthcare professional, you're, you're on too in a different way than most people. Um, so one of the things that, that I do, um, is if I'm going to put on what I, I started watching real housewives when the pandemic started, because I'm very highbrow like that. Um, but what I would do, and I knew it was mindless and I knew it's what I needed. I needed something mindless. I would start the show and I would go, look, you're off. No one needs anything from you right now. And maybe that's not true, but you know, for some, technically somebody always needs something from you, but I would say right now, there's no responsibility. You're off. Like you are. And I would just talk to myself that way. Mm. Nobody needs anything from you. You are right now. You are okay. You get to just, you get to just do something that feels maybe fun or light. So if that's your, if that's Instagram for you, if it's TikTok, which I kind of like that people are finding things that are really funny. Um, I'm not on TikTok, but people are looking for that, right? They're looking for things that are funny and lighthearted. Do it, but recognize what's happening so you can tend to it. I'm overwhelmed. My central nervous system is overwhelmed. So maybe even something that I would normally enjoy, like calling a friend or something like that, I don't want to do because all I want to do is check out. Okay, good. So then tend to that part and allow yourself to feel that stress melt away as you're saying, I'm off right now. I'm off. I've done a good job caring for people. I'm right now. I get to care for myself. And this feels so good to do that. It feels so good. And then as that body relaxes, unplug. We need it. That's awesome. It, it makes me think of the, like in, in the, the Buddhist practice of like noting, like noting what your thought is while you're meditating um, or, or Jane McGonigal, one of my, uh, I, I do a little bit of gamification. Uh, she's a gamification scholar. And she talks about the, the pros and cons of gaming. And if you, if you play games un, unmindfully, um, you'll see all these negative effects. But in, in her research, all you had to do was to note to yourself why you were picking up your phone to play bejeweled or uh right. candy candy right. crush um if right. you were just noted why you were doing it what benefits you were hoping right. to get out of it it totally changed the experience yes I, I think that that nails it very well and if it's not serving you which i hear from a lot of people too like maybe it's 
social media. Like I let, I end that and I feel more drained or I feel like everybody else was okay and I'm not okay. Or it makes me sad, you know, pay attention to that and go, so is there another thing that I can do that might, might tend to that part that wants to check out, but that's not leaving me with that yuck feeling. Um, I, I think reading can be, you know, a, a great way to, to do that where you're kind of unplugging and nothing is being needed of you um, without maybe some of the yuck that can come with social media, particularly maybe even the inputs, right? Like I know for me, I can be like, oh, that looks newsy or opiniony or whatever. And that's what I gravitate toward um, on social media more than just like somebody's pictures of puppies. Um, and so that might not be, you know, a helpful space for me to recharge. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Wide Ruled. If you like this show, please share it with a friend. You can support the show financially through Patreon at patreon.com slash Wide Ruled Podcast. Pledge as little as a buck an episode. Wide Ruled's theme music was a collaboration between myself and Dominique Fields, but I don't really know if I can take credit for a simple piano line. He did all the beats and that sort of thing, so let me say that again. Wide Rules theme music comes from Dominique Fields. Thanks to him. And thank you, the listeners. Cheers. <laughs>